Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad that we can spend a couple hours together today. I don't know if you know this, but Susie Larson Live is right before this show. You may not know that. But she wrote a book called Prepare Him Room. And it's uh, we're making a couple of these books available in our uh, November. We're giving away two of the devotional bundles, which includes two copies of Prepare Him Room and two sets of these really cool Quote, graphic cards, one for you and one for a friend. So you can uh, win yours today or sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. My first guest is a man who has a double-digit lead with independence right now, Patrick Albanese. Patrick, welcome. Yes, the double-digit lead. <laughs> I don't they don't know even what know what means. they're voting for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't either. I've, I've been thinking, I was going to put a sign out in my front yard just for me. You know, I've always liked yard signs. I think there's a, a city council election tomorrow. That's how. No, there is a city council election tomorrow. And the only thing anybody on my street cares about is what are you going to do about the construction? <laughs> I'll vote for anybody who completes the construction. Anybody. Well, that's, that's been going on for a long time in your, your neighborhood. And I was in your neighborhood not that long ago. And I did see these. What do you call them out in the front uh, on the boulevard? What do you call those things? Those dangerous looking things? The, the technical term is a bioretention cell, okay. and it is to uh, uh, slow the flow of water, I think, to the Pacific Ocean. I'm not entirely <laughs> certain at this point. Uh-huh. Or at least the <laughs> Red Sea. We are in the center of the country. Yeah. Yeah, at least the Red Sea. And, uh, the, but the, the less technical term is ditch. Uh, and uh, so about every third house on the street had this four-foot-deep ditch we were promised they didn't tell us about this at the city council meetings when they unveiled the project that was going to happen when they redid our street they just said it was going to be a beautification project and they said then people said what are these what's going on here oh yeah you're gonna love it yeah you just wait till you see them (laughs) (laughs) i ran into the i ran into the construction guy on the the street one day the guy kind of supervising the project before they began construction on them and i said well what are these gonna look like he says i won't know till i build one (laughs) so that was a vote of confidence and so they're about a four foot deep ditch right between the sidewalk and the street about every third house has one and then they put these brick waterfalls in them and they Holds water to slow it before it goes into the, the Red Sea, the little uh, creek nearby. Yeah, yeah, to the Red Sea. So, and the Chris, the day before Halloween, they put up a bunch of caution tape around them because they were worried the kids were going to fall in <laughs> and get hurt. <laughs> that can't be a good sign. The, the ditches can't be good. I see, yeah, I see that, but that that's kind of making me a little bit nervous. <laughs> we're going to be finding people in yeah. these ditches come spring thaw. Yeah, that's not good. So speaking yeah. of the weekend, I know uh, in Des Moines you have Beggar's Night, which happens the night before Halloween. So the traditional time to go out is the night before. 
Yes. Uh, and it, it started years ago because uh, we used to have a bunch of pranksters, apparently, in the lovely town of Des Moines 50, 60 years ago that made Halloween just a horrible experience for people and roving gangs of kids doing pranks and all kinds of things. And I th it was a woman, I think she was a librarian, came up with the idea of why don't we have a night just for the kids to go out the night before Halloween? Mm. And that's just reserved for trick-or-treaters. And then they'll do their trick-or-treating that night. And then she just for good measure tossed in. And they have to tell a joke when they go to your door. So, so you, it's a you great got, source of material for me. I was about to say, you must have gotten some new material last night. Yeah. Well, I sit there, you know, with a, you know, a microphone and a pen and a paper. And, uh, <laughs> it's it, and of course, I can be pretty rough on the kids because I say, you know, you're dealing with a professional here. So right. uh, I've heard that joke before. You got to come up with something else. You know, nothing will stymie a six-year-old a little bit more than saying, sorry, I heard your joke before. What else you got? <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear one last night that you thought was worth repeating? Uh, what was the, you know, they, they, a couple of the kids pulled the old, you know, uh, do you know why ghosts can't lie? Because you can see right through them. Ah, I thought that was that's kind of cute. cute. Yeah. Yeah. And my son did a homemade costume. You know, he just had a big, you know, sandwich board on the front that said, my costume is stuck on a Chinese freighter in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> That's you said very... I was supposed to be Superman. Nah. Yeah, now I'm super mad. So uh, uh, it was pretty funny. Yeah, pretty he funny. actually did really well with that. I'm not surprised. So, so he's got kind of a built-in joke. He doesn't have to tell a joke. He's just walking around with his joke. Exactly. Yeah. They gave him a pass. He got. He, he scored some. You know, a lot of candy. He and my my daughter went out together with a, a, a bunch of friends, and uh, I think my son one year made his Halloween candy last all the way till Christmas. He's just that careful with stuff. Wow. You know, he'll allow himself a piece a day or something like that, uh -huh. maybe two. And my daughter sometimes is done by noon the next day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I had a very uh, sweet little moment. I was passing out some candy and there was... You hand out the good stuff. I do hand out you the good hand stuff. You hand out. Yeah, I pay yeah. for it though. That's the problem. But yeah. anyway, I've got uh, one last person mm -hmm. coming to the house. It's this little kid dressed up as a ketchup bottle. And I'm pretty sure the kid is with his mom and maybe his aunt. And he comes up uh -huh. to the door and he's the cutest, cutest little kid. And I give him a candy bar and he starts heading away. And the mom says, make sure you say thank you. And he turns around and looks at me, this little ketchup bottle, and says... Thank you. I love you. <laughs> oh, that was so cute. Made my night. That was worth it. Because you, but you give out the what are they, the king size? I do. I do the not ridiculous. Fun size. No, and it's not fun size. I get the king size. It's like a you know, it's ridiculous. I didn't even want to. You took out a mortgage. I did. You? I you took, took out a second a, mortgage. Home equity loan. Because each box is like a dollar sixty nine, and you're going. I can't believe I'm doing this. But you should see the yeah. expression you get from kids. They cannot believe it. I had one parent yell at me uh, from the street, best house ever. <laughs> oh, that was worth it. Now, this didn't wasn't necessarily a Halloween thing, but I remember, you know, these candy bars come in various sizes. And uh, my son was in, I think it was maybe second grade. I can't remember what it was. 
and the teachers had them uh, when they had free time in the class do a they would number scroll and they would just start writing the numbers one through and they would just keep adding to the pages and uh she said any any child who makes it to 10,000 will get a candy bar as big as their head <laughs> yeah so uh you know, my son is just built that way, and he so he's he's like, I would love to get a candy bar as big as my head. <laughs> so he set out to do it, and uh, you know, he would, he'd fill an eight by eleven, you know, in half by eleven sheet, and then tape the next sheet on it. And uh, he he said to her, "What's the what's the record? Has anybody done it?" She says, "Well, I had one student do it, and he made it to like eleven or twelve thousand. So I can't remember." where he finally stopped by the end of the year at 14,000. And, uh, and when you unrolled the paper scroll, I think it was almost 50 feet long. Oh, wow. It, it went from one side of our house to another. I mean, the, the teacher gifted it to us with a candy bar as big as his head. She That's said, I've fantastic. just never seen, I've never had a kid take this as like, <laughs> like she threw down the, <laughs> she threw down the gauntlet and you know, here's a six or seven year old kid saying, I accept your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to pay. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. It was pretty fun. Kids will do anything for candy. Yeah, you know? they will. They will. Isn't it Halloween's kind of that? It's it's sort of turned into this. It's really when you think about it. It's it's kind of like kids are they're like shake little shakedown artists. <laughs> you know, because what, what's the whole idea behind trick or treat? You know, kids used to go around doing pranks. And then I guess it became sort of this, you know, knock on the door. You're in a disguise. Nobody knows who you are, right? <laughs> yeah. And the kid says, hey, uh, you know, kind of a nice place you got here. Shame if something were to happen to it, like, you know, a little bit of egging or some toilet paper, <laughs> something like that. But uh, you could, however, buy yourself just a little bit of protection for, say, how about a candy bar? What do you say? Yeah. You know, so we'll, now we we'll just call an, it trick we'll or treat. We'll keep an eye out on the place, you know? Keep an eye out on the place. By the way, some friends of mine will be swinging by shortly. <laughs> if I were you, I would be nice to them. I'd too. give them candy as well. Yeah, I hope you got a lot of candy. Yeah. Because there's a big line of kids coming. Yeah. yeah you, Patrick, you, you lived in California for 20 years. Tell me about what's going on in California's DMV. And they're, I think they're, they're refusing to register all kinds of trucks. I, I think uh, vehicles that are aren't as, uh, uh, that are past a certain age, you know, so the semis, uh, they're also, uh, they had a requirement that so many of them be electric because they said, well, all this green energy. And so the cost of operating a truck got so high that a lot of truckers couldn't afford, it's part of the crisis of things piling up. My son's costume being one of them, uh, you know, in the, um, shipyards is that, uh, trucks, it's just cost them a lot more to operate there. Plus, the process is so slow. I read a really fascinating article. The guy says it can take you in California half of your day waiting to get into the shipyard, get loaded, and get out. And you, you don't get paid for that time. Oh. You get paid for the miles. Hmm. I guess it depends on your contract. So a lot of truckers are saying it's, the route's not worth it for me. Because if I have to go to that California shipyard, they're understaffed. Um, and so it could take me, I could be there for four hours and that earns me no money. Mm. So you've so got, you've got some of these independent, uh, owner operated truckers and they, they have to have a green truck, which costs about $70,000 more than a regular truck. So 
It has yeah, put, which is put already... a, lot of, a lot of pressure on on these companies and these independent uh, owner operators. Well, plus, I don't even know what the range is on, you know, uh, in a much more energy efficient, like an electric truck. I don't know if the technology is there, but uh, you can't go as far, I don't think, uh, you know, in any given day. I, I just don't imagine it's, you know, the technology is not there yet. Maybe it will be someday. Yeah, but maybe. We, we can't we can't overlook that it's. You know, it's it's. I remember in a physics class in high school, a teacher talking. He he challenged us to to invent perpetual motion, and that pretty much took up the whole year. <laughs> and we had it was one homework assignment, and nobody did it. And he said, you know, there's always a cost. You know, if you want to move something, if you want you know, in physics, there are ways to create leverage, but then there's a cost for it, and that was kind of the lesson. And you know, we learned this with electric vehicles. With it's not an easy. You talked about it last week when the batteries on your hybrid went and, and you got the bill for $3,600. Uh, yeah, it was, it was spendy. Yeah, spendy. And you say, okay, I saved a lot of money on gas and I just spent it. Yeah. But you look at some of the cost of some of these electric cars and they're in the $50,000 plus range. And then you have yeah. to, uh, you've got about 270 miles for an electric charge and then it takes... What does it take, like four hours to charge it? How do you do do that on the road, or don't you? Well, they have, uh, they they do have come up with some superchargers. I think uh, Elon Musk came up with something that in 15 minutes can get you, but they're really powerful. And I don't, you know, they're not the kind of thing you can put in a house. If you can switch over to 240, I think you can get pretty close to full charge in 48 hours. But if you just have your standard 120, it could take 24 hours. Uh, so, you know, it's they're not really convenient in that regard. Yeah. We were in Santa Monica once, and uh, they were trying to encourage electric vehicle usage. So in this very pricey area, they put front parking spots in front of all the fancy restaurants and stores with uh, no charge for parking. And then there was a plug-in for your for your electric car. Well, that's and pretty nice. So all the rich people bought an electric car just to get the front parking spot. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty smart. Patrick, let me take yep. a short break. I'll be right back with Patrick Albanese as we get our Monday started. So glad you're with me today. I'll be right back. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome back. I pray you've had a, a day where you have welcomed God into all of your experiences you've had today and you've sought God's guidance um, in every situation. Because I think that is the the way you stay in constant contact with God and just give Him all your experiences as you seek uh, guidance throughout your day. Always enjoy spending my uh, day getting started with my friend Patrick Albanese, uh, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. Patrick, you sent me something over the weekend I found uh, quite interesting, and it was this thing that happened at Disneyland in Shanghai. Oh, yeah. I guess they had a case of covid so they, Never. they locked 30,000 30, people inside the Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it isn't such a small world after all. It's not such a small world. 
Now, uh, to, uh, for the record, I, I once went to Disneyland uh, on my birthday, uh, and I was dating a woman. It was we we actually shared the same birthday, uh, which is on December thirtieth. And and I tell you that not for the cascade of gifts that are about right. to come my way. They're not. They're not. But because that just so happens to fall between Christmas and New Year's, which any thinking person, and I'm, I'm making air quotes right now, would know that is a terrible time to try and go to Disneyland. The worst. The worst, because there are no kids in school, and right. they have to go somewhere. Yes. So we, we went, and I think they said they had uh, eighty five or 90,000 people there that day, and we waited about an hour and a half to get in the door to go get a hamburger. Uh, so they gave us passes to come back at another time and, and escorted us out to make sure we didn't stay. Wow. But, uh, but anyway, all that to say that 30,000, there's some pretty short lines for the rides, actually. That's not so bad. But you imagine, like, how would that, like, how, A, how long do you get stuck in there? B, do they charge you each day saying, I'm sorry, your pass is expired, sir? <laughs> You know, you can't leave, but you have to pay to stay. I'm just wondering if it's not a little hysteria. There's one person that tested positive for COVID and they're shutting 30,000 people down. Well, and I, it's when did that person, are they testing you as you walk in the door and they say, whoopsie doodles? I, I, I don't know. Nobody leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like a bit much. It seems like a bit much, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess if you're going to be stuck anywhere, being stuck inside of Disneyland isn't so bad. That is not a horrible place to be stuck. I would, I would definitely agree. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. You know, I do know the guy that wrote It's a Small World. I know that story. You've told it to me before. It's a fantastic yeah. story. Tell me yeah, again, because I can't uh, remember. Well, it's a tease. Uh, one, one of his best friends is uh, the guy who built the Magic Castle in Hollywood, where I worked for years. And yes. so I would see Richard Sherman. I saw him uh, at least uh, probably once every week or two because he would come in and hang out with his buddy. Uh, and it was, it, it was forever before I realized who I was always just chit-chatting with. You know, so I just chit-chatted with him like he was just one of us, right? And then I realized I had access to the guy who wrote that song. <laughs> <laughs> but he did write Mary Poppins. So he did write Mary Poppins music. Yeah. But uh, Which in I itself thought, is a great story. The spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Great story behind that. Yeah. Uh, wait, what is the whole... Because uh, in, in, I mean, well, in the movie, that's how she got the kids to take their medicine, right? Yeah. I can't recall the story. I thought you would know it for sure, but uh, I I did remember it at one point. It's a great story. Um, but, yeah. But, um, yeah, I can't well, recall they, it. There, There's a movie called Saving Mr. Banks, and it, they actually sat down with Richard Sherman because he was in the room when uh, P.L. Travers and Walt Disney and, and crew were trying to work out this uh story and she did not want her book made into a movie and let alone she didn't want Walt Disney to do it but she was in a financial bind uh and so they had all these recordings because she insisted everything be on uh record the changes she wanted made because she didn't want them pulling any shenanigans so they saved them for 50 years and then wow. they made them into a movie somebody uncovered them I think Richard Sherman might have had them and said I got them 
I got these recordings. <laughs> she was uh, she was tough. But uh, anyway, yeah, he used to tell great stories about Disneyland, the the haunted mansion. Somebody cracked the 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 glass that created the uh, uh, ghost effect inside the haunted mansion, and they realized. How do we get this piece of big piece of glass out of here? If they had built the place without a way to replace the glass, they would have to take the roof off. And so they couldn't fix it. And uh, so somebody came up with an idea, said, why don't we draw a spider web on it and just leave it? So that was this. <laughs> they drew a spider web on this, bro this piece of glass with a chip in it, and it stayed there for years till they could figure out how to take the roof off and replace it. Yeah, what a fantastic but, story. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Oh. I do. I, you know, I really miss nostalgia. I kind of miss it too. Wait, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I, listening to the, Jack, like a Jackson five song today. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I was, it was amazing. I was thinking back, I mean, not only how incredibly talented Michael Jackson was as a child, but how much deeper his voice used to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let that I one do. sink I miss in. some of that one. I'm gonna let that sink. I miss some of that old stuff. I I know. I think every generation does that, don't they? They say, "Oh, things were so much sweeter back then." Yeah, yeah. I know oh, that it. recently you were in St. Louis. You did a gig there, and and I I love the story, and I I shared it with you over the weekend too. Of the Gateway Arch in St. Louis it was designed by a Finnish architect, and it and I love this because it's such a beautiful piece, but it required 142 separate pieces in the shape of equilateral triangles to form mm -hmm. its graceful, awe-inspiring shape. And it is. So yeah. after six years of construction, everything was riding on the last piece. If the two legs were even an yeah. inch out of sync, the entire 630-foot structure was doomed. Yeah, because they had to start one from each side, right. and then they built up toward the middle. Right. Now, you know, they did have a backup plan. Uh, just in case it failed, two arches. <laughs> 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 Which <laughs> <I'm>, eventually... <laughs> I'm glad they didn't have me measuring, because I just kind of oh, hold good. my hands apart and just say, that's close enough. All well, right, uh, So Patrick. I did... Oh, yeah, I, I got to see them. I got a picture, saw pictures of them putting that last piece in it. It gave me vertigo to, to look at these <laughs> men hundreds of feet up in the air dropping that piece oh, in from a helicopter. I bet. I bet. I got dizzy looking at the picture. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised. Have a great rest yeah. of the day. Thanks. You too. Yeah. Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. Just to get things started on a little bit of a light note, I'm looking forward to uh, David Miles showing up for the Monday afternoon mix. PDM, Rosie B. That's all coming up next.
right, it is time for the Monday Afternoon Mix with Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. We're continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And Pastor David Miles is a pastor at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, and also an adjunct professor right here at the University of Northwestern. And Rosie B. runs the show on the afternoon. So here we are once we, again. We are here. And yeah. yes, Rosie B. does run the show. She does oh, run the show. Guys, we are super grateful for that. guys. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, well, not you, Bill, but I'd be a hot mess tore up from the floor up. As, as would I. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Yep. Like it's the Vikings last mirrors. night. You went to the game, didn't you? I went to the game last night and, uh, you know, endured some uh, some pain. And Yes, you did. You know, like the beginning part was joy. <laughs> the last yeah. part was and pain. <laughs> the beginning part was sunshine. And the last part was and rain. Yeah. Give you, it to me, raw base. You know, so. You had it all. I did, you know, yeah. and was like super excited. So, you know, I was thinking because Dak Prescott didn't play, you we know, had a chance. That, that we Better had a chance. chance. And my son yeah. DJ was like, um, are we going to find a way to like lose, you know, <laughs> actually tonight? Oh, he's you know, a true fan, isn't he? Um, he's a true fan. He, yeah. lo- he absolutely, you know, loves it. You know, it was loud in there. Mm. Um, you know, we were able to, to go because of some dear friends, you know, of ours, Will and Lord Porter from Fargo, whose mom actually went home to be with the Lord uh, on Saturday morning, um, and wonderful, godly woman. Uh, Will was my evangelism explosion trainer at Salem Evangelical Free Church in Fargo when I went to India Shoe, you know. So the, the importance of ongoing life mentorship is such a profound thing. Um, had the privilege of doing uh, one of his daughters, Stephanie, um, her uh, and her husband's wedding. Um, so that was super cool. And so, you know, again, discipleship is a rich thing that's meant to be lifelong. And so for the person who's mentoring young kids right now and wondering, hey, uh, you know, what's this going to be? You know, you might become older like me and find that uh, you've made a profound impact on someone's life that continues for many years. And I'm not just talking about like Vikings tickets, just the way that yeah. Will and Laura have prayed for us and, and and cared for us and encouraged us. God wants us to do that as a body. Just keep the long game in mind. Keep the long game in mind. Yeah. That's kind of what I feel like Vikings fans are doing because like someone next to me last night had noted um, that her mom actually um, died the day after the Cubs had won the World Series. She had been waiting her entire life for it to happen and literally the next day she died of a heart attack. Wow. Wow. So... But she realized one of her dreams. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. The whole state of Minnesota is, you know, we're going to have to wait another 20 years. I so hope, we don't lose the whole state of Minnesota. I, I, oh, the next I hope day. not, you yeah. know. So let's get into the Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about loving your enemies. Yeah, you know. Or are we going to uh, back up and talk a little bit more about revenge? Well, I think we could back up a little bit more and, you know, talk a little bit about re- revenge and, you know, retaliation. Um you know, one of the things that's interesting about football is having had the opportunity to coach my son's um, flag football. And one of the things that we'd always tell kids was remaining um, composed and honoring the other team, honoring other players. Because in football, like if a scuffle breaks out, it's not the first person that the refs see. It's usually the person retaliating. <laughs> Good point. And we saw that last night, you know, a bunch, you know, several little penalties that were unnecessary. Um, and so, you know, Jesus was speaking earlier in our time in, in uh, chapter 5, um, in verse 38, when he says, you know, you heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, um, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And we guys, we'd spend time talking about this whole kind of culture that we have of um, retaliation and revenge. And like people, we we find people feeling like, oh, you did me wrong, and I'm going to do you back. And Jesus says, you know, no, you know, not to do that. And literally saying like, do not resist. Um, you know, the evil person. Now, this is actually in a neuter, like in a masculine, um, which was noted, but and not like a neuter tense. So it's not saying like not to resist evil because, you know, the Lord tells us in the Bible, resist the devil. And he calls the devil the evil one. Um, so it's not in mind that it's saying don't resist all evil. You know, that that's, that's not the case here. Um, but the idea of an evil person or... Uh, The New English Bible says the man who wrongs you or uh, the good news Bible says do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. And the idea here is, you know, the the mindset of us not retaliating, you know, because that that's that's here in line with what we're seeing in the passage. And Jesus goes on to kind of he gives like these four little cameos. You know, the first one is um, the person who slaps you on the right cheek. Uh, the person who would take, sue you, uh, the one who would force you to go a mile, and the one who would beg from you. And uh, he gives these kind of cameo examples of very real life that people were experienced during that time. And so the the last one, the person who would beg from you, that doesn't seem like that would be something. How, David, can you explain um, what that means? Because when I think of somebody begging from me, I don't think of retaliation. Does that mean like, telling them, no, they can't have something if they're asking. Can you unpack that? That one's, that one's good. I want to like, I, I want to say here, um, the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Um, I think it's having an open willingness because God's mm. going to unpack this a little bit in the very next section as he goes into the part of loving and hating enemies, because when he gets in the next section, the Bible is saying, you know, the Pharisees would say, listen, you should actually hate your enemies. You know, you should only love the people that you love. And God is like, no, wait a minute. Um, I cause it to rain on both the just and the unjust. And the Bible talks about how even we are enemies uh, of God. So God doesn't operate uh, in the same manner. And he begins to call us to a higher way of operating, a higher way of living to his kingdom ethics. Actually, the entire chapter ends out with Jesus saying, be perfect, teleos, like complete. Now, we can't be perfect like God is perfect, but it has in mind that idea of being holy or being perfect or being mature uh, in our thinking. So I think, you know, here um, he's starting to to build up to the idea of the person who begs from you and not refusing the one who would borrow from you. Because sometimes we really, we, we kind of get into a um, uh, pros and cons of it. I don't know about, okay, maybe just me. You know, there have been times where I've thought to myself, okay, so how is this person going to utilize X funds if you give those to someone? Mm, okay. You know? mm-hmm. And so we kind of, and in Bible studies, we have these conversations where people are like, you know, well, what are they going to do with it? And what's interesting about it oftentimes is that 
the thing that we think a person is going to do with it is naturally pejorative hmm. or negative. So, um, well, I feel like what you're saying is that it's also a step into generosity because isn't by the time we're done and Jesus is saying, be more perfect like God, we can't even address that without God coming through us, right? Because we're so flawed ourselves. So it's also a door towards generosity of don't be retaliatory towards somebody like, you know, give what you have and don't, you know, hold that back because God doesn't hold back. Yes. And one of the things is that it has in mind of us helping the sinner here. Um, One of the things is that we should try to help the sinner. And sometimes we feel like, well, they kind of made their own bed. Mm -hmm. They really should sleep they should sleep in it. And so I'm not sure exactly, um, didn't get as much study on the protect, protect the particulars of this phrase at the uh, end of chapter um, 40, 42. Um, but on the, on the one hand, we can say, you know, if this person hits you in the face, well, naturally you think you should hit them back. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, no, give them the right trick, which is actually... If a, most people were um, right-handed, and so a person, when you use the word dexta, it has in mind kind of a right hand. Ambidextrous is, means both hands, and 85% of our population uh, is right-handed. So if someone were to, like, punch you in the face with your right hand, it's going to hit your left cheek. But if a person backhands you, which is, ooh, that's a very, like, draining everything out of you type of thing, mm-hmm. that's actually striking um, your your left cheek. And when he comes to the part of saying, if anyone would sue you or take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And the idea was that the undergarment was underneath the tunic. So it was like literally giving them everything. Mm. Um, there were Old Testament laws about not having, you know, if a person gave their tunic in pledge, that by the end of the day, you needed to give it back because, you know, it was their source of protection, you know, and so it wasn't withholding that. And then when a person says to go an extra mile, go with him too, a Roman soldier could grab any person um, within the Roman world and say, listen, you need to carry my stuff. And it didn't matter what you were doing. So if you were walking down the street and someone walked up, you know, Roman centurion walks up and says, hey, you, when he would call you Rosie or call you Bill, would just say, hey, you, carry my pack. And there was a law where they had to carry that. Is that why Simon had to step up? to the cross to help Jesus because they just pulled him out. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Simon of Cyrene, you know, gets pulled, pulled out of that. And it's just like, go. And so Jesus is saying, instead of, you know, the, the going the extra mile from which we get that idiom is the idea that it was standard for a person to go one mile and the witness of a person going an extra mile was all the more so amazing. When I think about this, turn the other cheek, and I've done some study on this, and I'm going to try my best to recall what I learned. Uh, a backhand slap is a way that you admonish an inferior. Mm-hmm. But, David, your point's so well taken. If you uh, take your right hand and punch someone, you're going to punch them in the left cheek. But if, when you look at who Jesus was talking to, who his audience was, he was saying, if someone strikes you or wants to sue you or forces you to go another mile. So what he was, he was talking to the people who are victims. 
So the whole idea of turn the other cheek is you're robbing the oppressor of the of their power to humiliate you. Because if your cheek is turned, um, you're not going to be able to backslap somebody very easily. You're going to basically be saying, um, you're not going to be able to uh, hit me, and we're going to have this moment of of we're both humans, and you're, you're, I'm not going to give you that, that satisfaction. I, I'm trying to spit this out best I can. Yeah, well, you've seen it happen before where, like, okay, like you've watched an old Western, like my dad, you know, really liked Clint Eastwood and, you know, Fistful of Dollars, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but, like, if a person, like, punched somebody, that was like, okay, in essence, like, okay, you're punching this person, and I don't mean to use, like, this term. We're just going to go with the old terminology. Like, the, you're, you're punching the person like a man-to-man, hand-to-hand fight. But if a person actually slaps somebody, you know, that was just like, you, you would just see this kind of utter humiliation. Right. You know, and part of the things that are happening here with retaliation is... Um, you're seeing this idea of this this almost humiliating of a person. If anyone would sue you to take one thing, it's like taking everything away from you, like leaving you destitute and almost saying like my life, your life has no value except what I see. So if, I, if I'm going to command you to do something for me uh, and the person's just going to have to abide. And, and in some ways, especially on the one where the person says, hey, you're going to carry my stuff, that person feels a sense of authority. Like I just told you, you're like, you got to carry my stuff. But it actually flips things on its head when the person looks at him and says, you know what, I'm going to take it the next mile too. And it's this very kind of weird thing because it's basically just disempowered the situation so that even in the midst of wrong, we're not always entirely powerless, you know, in power in, in, in a good way, the ability to affect change. So, David, think about this. If I'm going to take my right hand and swack you on the face with the back of it, right? So it's going to come and hit on your right cheek, right? Yeah, if you if backhand I, If me. I come this way, right? Yep. Because I want to humiliate you. I want to give you a nice whack on this. And But you turn your cheek. I'm not going to be able to do that. So basically, you're stripping me of my power to kind of dehumanize you. Yeah, if you have that quick of a reaction. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. All right, let me take a little break. You listen to the Monday afternoon mix. PDM, Rosie B. We'll be right back. Pastor David Miles, Rosie B. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. And give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That's a complicated passage, but God wants us to be generous. You know, he do does. say more, PDM. Yeah, he does. And, you know, it's kind of <laughs> interesting is even as we're heading into the holiday season, um, sometimes our, our mindset can be that 
if someone's giving a gift to us, you know, people would love for them to be lavish, you know, and it's like, so what can I get you? A car. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, what are you going to get that person? A gift card. <laughs> you know, I took the D and put it on there. But, you know, as Jesus is, is hitting upon this, um, you know, it's, it's helpful, a word even from uh, Bruce Barclay on this one. It's the idea that we should have a generous spirit. When he says, give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And it's the idea of us holding on um, loosely to our personal rights and to our possessions. And, you know, that can be hard because we live in this society. You know, Rosie, I'm, I'm holding something up right now. Uh, what is this? Well, it would be a smartphone. And it's a smartphone by Apple, so it's called a iPhone. Okay. And if you have a tablet, that one's called an iPad. And if you have the big one, it's called a uh, MacBook? iMac. iMac. Uh, yep. Okay. Then you have the MacBook, but the iPod. And they all start with what? I. I. You know, so so with this, that, that part of sometimes being generous can be um, one that we wrestle with. You know, there was an old PBS special years ago that talked about not influenza, but affluenza, that our culture really struggled with that, 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 that pull to always be going for what's next and going for what's new and those various things like that. So the idea of being, um, you know, of generous uh, is, is a hard thing. I remember this one, this uh, one story, it was, uh, you know, it was a story of, um, of a dollar bill who met a $20 bill in the wallet. And he's like, you know, hey, 20, you know, where you been? He's like, man, he goes, I've been to like Florida. I've been to the mall. <laughs> he goes, man, I've been to Europe. He goes, man, I've been on Amazon. He goes, what about you, dollar? Where you been? He goes, church, 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 church. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so the idea of like $20 looks like a lot when you're at church, but it looks really small when you are the Mall of America, you know? And so Jesus is saying, um, we, all of these things have been given to us and he wants us to have a generous attitude. Now, Proverbs also instructs us, um, you know, with recommendations not to blindly give away, like we are supposed to use um, wisdom. Um, But sometimes our leaning is more towards not being generous than it is towards being generous. And it's like, you know, we're praying and saying, God, will you be generous with me? And God's like, will you be generous um, to others? And so I had a pastor say to me the other day, you know, he said it's interesting because I was talking a little bit about my my um, old mentor, Jan Moskowitz, who was North American director for Jews for Jesus. And we were talking about Israel. And he says, you know, people talk about, you know, the Lord blesses those who bless Israel. But he says, but the Bible also says the Lord blesses the one who blesses the poor. And he's like, you don't hear that said very often. And I had to say, yeah, you're right. And I was reading today in Proverbs, and it's like, yeah, he does say that. And when we hear that, we start to think, oh, you know, but what is that person going to do? And again, we start thinking pejoratively about brothers and sisters. And it might be that they have, you know, a need, and they're going to handle that need, and God wants to use us in that way. I think it's a nice time to bring up the fact that Faith Radio listeners are the most generous people in the world. Indeed. It's amazing, always. Yeah, there's tears. After these shares that we have, there are tears in this very room when everybody joins together and we sit there and just contemplate 
because God is moving every listener to give generously by his spirit yeah. and they're listening and they're obedient. And then, you know, this message, your message, David goes across the world as we've seen people picking up the app all over the world. So it's beautiful. Well, one of the ways that, you know, we're really blown away that God impacts people. Um, one are, are our listeners and, and our supporters and the impact that people have. Um, I want to share something and I'm going to share it with kind of an anonymity uh, to it because um, just for this very dear person, um, back earlier this year, because we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount for a while, and we spent a time talking about biblical sexuality. And out of that, we ended up getting a letter and like, you know, it, it was very powerful. Um, but I want to share this. And I'm also said, I want to keep the anonymity, but I want to share this because I want the listeners to understand what it is that you're giving to and the impact that you're having. And the letter went like this. It ha- it's come this year sometime. I'll just leave it there. And it said, you know, um, dear PDM, I want to take an opportunity to respond to a very sweet, heartfelt apology uh, to your sisters in Christ on Bill's show. I've listened to it several times and have had the same response each time. I've had experience, all manners, and we were talking that week about lust and biblical sexuality. And the person said, I have experienced all manners of sexual abuse, harassment, infidelity, and sexual addiction of my ex-husband and my ex-pastor husband. I struggled to forgive briefly, but knew from previous experience that inability, or I should say unwillingness, to forgive only keeps me in prison and bound to the past in bitterness and resentment. I utterly surrendered my shattered trust and deep soul wounding to God for his healing and asked him to pour his forgiveness for these men into my heart. I knew I couldn't will myself to forgive. My will has limits and was utterly lacking when it came to such a release of accountability. What I could do was submit myself to the one who does all things well. He promises to take what man meant for evil and turn it for good. He is always faithful to his promises. So living in this freedom has been extraordinary, and I work with other women who desire to have the same freedom. What I did not realize and found so profoundly life-changing was your apology. It was as if an arrow was aimed straight for my soul. It took my breath away, and I wept uncontrollably. No man has ever apologized to me for their utter disrespect, abuse, and objectification among many other ways of which I won't bother to elaborate. It mattered little that you were not the perpetrator. Your words were heartfelt, sincere, and impactful. Empathetic. It painted the final strokes to this portrait of renovation and healing that God has worked in my life, and I can only say thank you. Most women never hear these words. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I wish I could find the words to adequately express my gratitude. I simply cannot. Please accept this inept offering of thanks. Never for one minute think this apology without acknowledgement by someone. I can only hope that others felt the same healing balm I experienced. I have no doubt that it was received by others. Appreciate your insight and look forward to the Monday mix. Along with Bill, you and Rosie bring such a thoughtful and sensitive perspective to some tough issues. Many, many thanks, and may God continue to bless you and your ministry. And when we read that, guys, we were crying. Mm-hmm. And God bless this this dear sister. And part of my sharing of that story is the one that makes me cry 30 years later was of the man at Urbana 93 who got on my knees. 
his knees in front of me and said, David, will you forgive my people for the hurt and pain that we've caused your people? And I couldn't believe that I was, I was there. Mm. But that man's healing in my life led to being healing to others. And, and, and I share this to let you know that those of you who support um, this, and I had someone that I know uh, in the Twin Cities who heard it, and they got a hold of me, and they said, I heard that, and I was weeping. And I didn't know this part of their story, and they shared this with me. But it's only possible that it went out because of our, our supporters and, and to be healing to other people. And I just, I love this sister, and, and uh, I'm so grateful. And I've been looking at the ways to respond to this person and writing, and it feels at times my words are inept as I start writing out something. But, yeah, Rosie? You know what I love about it is because what you're sharing right now, David, is we were talking about so easy to look at the monetary sharing, but what you shared was the sensitivity of your spirit and you shared forgiveness and you shared, you stepped into a painful place. So you shared your heart. And I think God means for us to do both. Thank you so much to both of you, Pastor David Miles, Rosie B. That ends the Monday afternoon mix for today. We'll take a break. When we come back, Ken Samples is going to join me for the whole hour. He's a philosopher and theologian, and he's going to talk about God's hope for depression and anxiety. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.